Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Monday, July 5th, we are studying Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 1 to 14. Jeremiah sends a letter to the exiles who have been taken into captivity in Babylon in order to encourage them to make a life for themselves there and to comfort them with God's promise to restore his people after 70 years. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor A.J. Espinoza. Pastor Espinoza serves at St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Irvine, California. Pastor Espinoza, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Thanks for having me back, Pastor Apple. It's uh, good to be talking with you today and then looking at this text that's I mean, one that really just stands out in the Bible. I don't know if there's any other prophecy that seems to get just picked up and uh, interpreted and reinterpreted and reapplied in so many different ways um, besides this 70-year prophecy of Jeremiah. So with that in mind, Pastor Espinoza, as we think about this text in its context first, what do we need to know about Jeremiah, his ministry, where we are in the book that helps us into this first part of Jeremiah 29 today? Right. Well, um, I, I suppose uh, someone might already be thinking to themselves, hang on a second. Wait, did we, didn't we already do this? Um, because uh, in, in Jeremiah 25, that's actually the, the first time. If I, yeah, it's the first time that we get this 70 years thing. Um, and, and so this is, uh, this is now a, a second go around here. And it seems like when you, when you kind of look at these headings, because like in chapter 25, you've got one that says, um, a, a title that says, in the fourth year of Jehoiakim. Um, and then up here, you have this introduction in 29, um, that it's a, it's a letter. So it, it seems like Jeremiah, he had this prophecy that he would have spoken originally in, in 25, um, that maybe would have been... Um, if I'm not getting all my dates mixed up, um, that would have been maybe around like 605 BC. Um, and that then this would be a letter that would be sent uh, to the officials and, and scribes and, and some of the like that, the upper class that would have already been deported uh, when uh, they were captured by Babylon. So this is then the letter that's going off to those exiles in Babylon. So Jeremiah is still... Uh, back in the homeland, uh, but he's continuing this this ministry uh, abroad. So it's kind of interesting in that respect because it's kind of a a little bit of a a precursor to like Paul uh, later conducting that kind of like tele ministry. So I don't know. I, that, that's just a actually an application that's occurred to me in the the wake of COVID. <laughs> Certainly. I mean, it's, it's, I think it's important to see that Jeremiah does take that function of the epistle, much like Paul does here. We see him actually writing a letter to these exiles from the, the land of Judah that are living now in Babylon. And, and yeah, I think you're, you're right. 20, chapter 25, where the 70 years comes up first within the context of the book, does seem to come chronologically before 
chapter 29. Sometimes, as, as you know, Jeremiah is not arranged strictly chronologically, but it, it does yeah. seem that 25 is earlier because in, in chapter 25, if I'm, if I'm looking at it correctly, that actually is proclaimed before they go into exile. Right. And the letter that we've got here, they've already gone into exile at this point. Yeah, well, and there's a lot of indications for that. I mean, you, you have like the, I mean, just like the, the dates, um, but also like when you look at 25, there's some reason to think that the the Septuagint might be a more reliable uh, source for chapter 25. And in, in the Septuagint version of 25, it doesn't specifically talk about Babylon. It, it just says that there's going to be this group from the north that's going to come in and uh, wreck all this uh, devastation. So it's uh, in that respect, it sort of seems like, you know, in 25, he's uh, he's like making this oral proclamation, like, guys, you got to get your act together. Um, you know, if I mean, it's just I mean, the, the language itself, you've neither listened nor inclined your ears to hear, you know, like, even though I've been telling you this stuff for for years <laughs> um so it seems like in, in 25 he's like saying like, so, like something bad's gonna happen like you are going to get captured right and then um in, in 29 he's like see babylon came and captured you <laughs> right yeah yeah so let's let's take a look at, at what he writes here and that'll bring out more context i think as well so we're in, in jeremiah 29 beginning at the first verse These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah and the queen mother, the eunuchs, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen, and the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elasa, the son of Shaphan, and Gamariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. It said, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare, you will find your welfare for thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you and do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. I'll pause there for us, Pastor Espinosa. That was through verse 9 of the text, the first part of Jeremiah's letter. Before we actually get to the letter itself, there's quite a bit of of context in terms of names and various people, when this is happening. Give us those first couple of of verses where it's being laid out, the situation. What, What should we see in those first couple of verses? Right. Well, so in, in verse one, you have just the enumeration of all the people that Nebuchadnezzar had captured. And so, uh, I mean, it, it's not giving you like a specific year here. And like when you look at other parts of scripture, there's there's maybe some some things that like you can kind of like raise an eyebrow at and you're like, hmm. Um, but it, it seems like Nebuchadnezzar would have uh, put pressure on, on Jerusalem, whether it was like a full on siege or just, 
you know, the armies are marching towards you and it's going to be a siege soon unless you, you know, pay up now. Um, I mean, at least like three times, um, which is which is kind of confusing for people who are just kind of like learning about this. You, you hear about like, oh, like the siege of Jerusalem and and uh, you're kind of like, OK, it was this this day or was it was it this day? Well, I mean, it was it, it kind of happened all the time. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> Jerusalem getting put to siege. So, uh, you know, so this event here. Um, this may refer to, uh, as early as like 605 BC, um, depending on, on, on how you kind of put things together, it, it could have actually happened like a few years later, um, like closer to like 598 ish. But yeah, so what, what happened there in this particular case is that, uh, Judah was a, uh, a, a vassal of, of Egypt before all this, um, like the Egyptians owned them. Um, in fact, uh, the, the kings were appointed by Egypt and kind of served at their pleasure. So what happened after Babylon with Nebuchadnezzar II um, conducted like these, like this really big military campaign that took them even into e- Egypt's territory is they came back around and put the screws to Judah and said, hey, uh, you're not going to be egypt's puppet anymore you're going to be mine so here's the strings dance and so they they paid up um and switched allegiance and so um as a as a part of that um you know there's there's this working relationship now of like okay you're gonna like you know be paying and you're gonna be fighting to preserve our interests and uh well the the issue is that the king of judah did not particularly well I mean, it's it's unclear whether he didn't particularly care for the Babylonians or if just Egypt came and <laughs> forced him to kind of switch sides again. But what, when that happened, whether it was kind of at the instigation of Judah or Egypt, uh, Nebuchadnezzar was none too pleased, um, came back and said, look, no, you're mine. And basically as a way of kind of doing that, um, ended up to just deporting a whole bunch of of the uh of the of the ruling class which was sort of like taking hostages <laughs> um i mean it says there in verse two right like king uh, jeconiah right just deported right so i mean so he's not going to be doing much there in judah uh anymore so so that, that's kind of the situation that you've just got like like a bunch of this jerusalem elite that now is just gone and in babylon and is sort of like you know um, <laughs> you, you better behave or else I've got a bunch of your people right here at my disposal. Hmm. And so the the letter that Jeremiah writes, it would seem it comes maybe a few years after, or at least sometime after that actual exile, the the taking of, what you put, taking hostages, that a few years maybe after that happens. And, and what, what strikes me is that this is a, this is, it seems an official communication from Zedekiah to Nebuchadnezzar in, in verse three, Jeremiah in the the text lists you know who the who took the letter he lists yep. a loss of the son of Shaphan and Gemariah the son of Hilkiah and these were ones whom Zedekiah was sending to Nebuchadnezzar so I I mean I just I appreciate that picture of the political relationship that's happening at this moment that there's you know diplomatic relationship here and maybe yep. diplomatic isn't quite the right term because as you said. Uh, Judah is definitely a vassal of Babylon. Babylon is clearly the top dog and Judah just, they kind of tolerate Judah as long as Judah keeps paying. But just to see a, a picture of the political nature of the world and how 
into that, you know, the Lord allows Jeremiah to send a letter in the midst of all that. It's, I guess it's, it's a bit of a reminder of who's really in charge here, that, that this is the word of the Lord coming through Jeremiah to his people. And the Lord happens to be making use of the political machinations of the day to get that word from Judah to Babylon. Right. Yeah, no, that's, that's right. I mean, this was all in the existing political structure. Um, you know, the, I mean, it, it was a hostile, you could say, on the on the part of Babylon. But I mean, this kind of vassal relationship was, I mean, kind of how the whole world worked. And so it was, it was more or less expected that if you were not a you know, big enough dog um, in your yard that you were uh, serving another one. So, I mean, th- this is this is what happened, and and so as a part of this uh, relationship, there's going to be communication sent back and forth, and so it's like. Uh, a lot of it's going to be like, hey, this is how much you need to pay next time. <laughs> and uh, along with the, the letters and, and things that are sent back to Babylon would perhaps also be resources. Um, so this is just kind of like it's uh, there's this kind of, you know, the, this mail route that goes back and forth. It's not going to be like all the time. And so it's sort of like, hey, in the next batch of communications and, and uh, you know, uh, loot that's getting sent over to Babylon, you know, Jeremiah is like, hey, stick this in for me. All right. And so, yeah, it's it's very much just like using the mechanisms that are already there. It might be helpful, Pastor Espinoza, because we live in a different political climate than existed in the, you know, the this part of the history. We've used the word vassal a couple of times, and I'm not sure that that's a word that gets used all that often amongst us. What can you can you just help define kind of what the relationship is between Babylon and Judah and that that relationship between a sovereign and their vassal that we're talking about here? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, um, you know, vassal is a, uh, I mean, is is kind of a, a looser word. I mean, um, you know, vassalage uh, can can be used uh, to describe the relationship between like uh, like in, in Europe, like in medieval Europe, the relationship between like kings. And uh, and and the knights or the uh, the the aristocracy that were under them, but uh, the the idea is that you know it's like it's a, it's a, it's a kind of federation um, where there there are these like lower level guys, the, these these vassals, these um you know kind of sub kings that that rule, and and you know they are going to be in charge of the the day to day local goings on. But they all answer to the the next level, uh, who's above them, and so you, you see this um, that they they are they are kings, but it's it's like they're not kings with like a capital K, uh, like like these other guys. In fact, like you get that title like King of Kings, you know that was a title that was used for the emperors of like the Assyrian and the uh, Neo Babylonian Empire. So like they're they're on another level and and Judah is not an independent kingdom the way it used to be before all the stuff went down with Assyria but before that point they were an independent kingdom and it was like king with a capital K but but now it's definitely like a small K um and and in fact they're appointed by uh their overlords uh by Egypt or by Babylon um, and in fact, uh, we, we've seen it in the history too, where, uh, you know, they might anoint somebody and then it's like, you know, e- Egypt comes in, they're like, ah, no. <laughs> and then and they just declare someone else to be the king. So, I mean, it's, uh, 
it, it's like yeah it's like you have like the the line of david but it's like is it like really like the you know dynasty of david so right so at at this time this communication that's happening that's being sent from jerusalem to babylon it could involve perhaps a sending of, of tribute where Jerusalem is sending the required payment over to Nebuchadnezzar or some sort of assurance of loyalty. Uh, there were there were many times where these large empires, you can, you can imagine this, that the smaller nations that don't really have control, they, they kind of get together and said, maybe we could do something against, against the big dog. And and so maybe a, an assurance of loyalty from Zedekiah, all of this is is potentially what's happening in the communication that's being sent. And Jeremiah's letter gets sent along with it to the exiles who are there in Babylon. And, and then we get the actual text of the letter, which begins in verse four. And so, and this is, this struck me as, as I was reading it earlier, Pastor Espinoza, because of what you had said about you know, how St. Paul writes epistles. Yeah. When St. Paul writes epistles, you know, he identifies himself as the author. And of course, we understand that, that Paul's epistles are the inspired word of God. But, but Jeremiah, you know, he doesn't say, hey, this is Jeremiah the prophet writing. He starts with what he's been preaching all along. This is the word from the Lord of hosts, which I mean, that's a that's a pretty big a pretty big deal for Jeremiah to proclaim that. And I, I think it's 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 important to see that the word of the Lord here now is going beyond the borders of Judah, past, you know, well outside the temple. And now the word of the Lord is being preached to these exiles in Babylon. Just that very fact, I think, fits in with some of the comfort that's going to be provided in this letter that the Lord He's not forgotten about his people that have been sent into exile. He's going to actually send his word to them through this letter from Jeremiah. Yeah, it is interesting how, uh, I mean, I guess that's kind of the whole trajectory of it, right? That, I mean, it was never as if God was like myopically uh, solely focused on on just Judah, right? And, and that his will for um, his people, Israel, was, was going to be like just to, you know, well, just here's your corner and like, here's how you're going to play in it. Here's the rules. Right. But, you know, I mean, from the, you know, covenant to, uh, with Abraham. And I mean, even before that, it's always had like a global scope in mind, but, uh, there is like this trajectory where it seems like the more and more the, the people of God get dispersed and, and kind of like subjugated and oppressed by all these different nations, the more like, it, it feels like the focus seems to, uh, to get wider. Um, and, and so I think, I think you see that, that, you know, God's up to something providentially here. Well, and I mean, Jeremiah all the way back in his call in chapter one was called to be a prophet to the nations. He, he was never just called to be a prophet to only Judah and Jerusalem. Certainly the majority of his preaching happens there and, and is directed to those people, but he's always been a prophet to the nations. And we've seen back in chapter 25 we were right that's chapter 25 the cup of the lord's wrath yeah after the 70 years you get the cup of the lord's wrath in chapter 25 and that of course is for all the nations too so but here now we're going to see that word go into one of those nations to the people or into babylon which is where some of the people of judah are and the the initial word from the lord in verse five had to strike them as Wait, wait, say what, Jeremiah? You want us to build houses and live here and plant gardens and eat their produce? That that doesn't sound right. What what's going on here, Pastor Espinoza? Yeah, I, I gotta say, like, I think I think verse five is is gigantic. I mean, like, it's uh, I mean, if if uh, you know, if, if if verse four didn't get your attention, like verse five will, <laughs> um, because uh. Well, but, but so, so here's like taking a step back though. I gotta say, like, I feel like the last time I read this, 
um, out of the ESV, like my, I think my brain was kind of thrown off because the, the build houses and live in them, like plant gardens and eat their produce. I mean, this kind of sounds like, uh, like, like Isaiah, uh, where, where Isaiah says very similar things. Uh, but, but the point there is like, uh, an expression of, of like, uh, of freedom and prosperity, prosperity and, and peace, right. That, you know, we would actually be able to, you know, build houses and enjoy them for some time instead of getting wiped out. Right. Or that we would, uh, be able to plant gardens and actually enjoy their produce instead of, uh, having some like invader come and, and take all the produce from us. Right. Uh, but that's not the point here. Uh, the point is that they would build houses there in Babylon <laughs> and and live in them, um, and, and which which is kind of weird. Then that the ESV translates this way, like the the NIV, where it, where it just says um, you know build houses and settle down um, is as I think not only more accurate but but clearer. But I mean that's that's the point. He's actually using the verb settle down. Like this is like the the verb you know for you know like Jacob and Esau like settling in different places. It's like settle there, <laughs> like, like make this your new permanent home. Well, and so a couple of things I think in that verse, one is that the verbs build and plant that recalls Jeremiah's call as well. That was one of the things that, that the Lord said he was going to do through Jeremiah. Four of the verbs were more destructive verbs. So there are two, two words of, of building. And it was these two building and, and planting, which again, it's the, the place is what seems surprising. One of the things that as I was reading, you know, verses five, I guess primarily verse five with the houses and the gardens and the permanency that's there, I was reminded of, and I, I can't remember where this was. I tried to find it, but I, I couldn't find the specific text. I was reminded of the way that the Lord sometimes speaks to his people as they're getting ready to go into the promised land. Hmm. And he talks about living in, I think, living in houses they didn't build getting the produce from vineyards they didn't plant, but but that sense of, of permanency, this is the place I'm going to put you, the promised land. Now, and again, it's not quite the same, but, but in a similar way, this idea of settling down here in Babylon, what, yeah. what about Jerusalem? What about Judah? What about this promised land? Why, right. why here? And again, I think that, that, that makes the, the text just that more striking also, and I'll, I'll let you respond in just a second, but it's yeah. just my mind is, is going here. Yeah. The, you know, among the things that the people have been taking false confidence in is the fact that, look, here's the temple, right? This is the temple, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. They've been taking this false confidence in the fact that, hey, we're in the promised land. We can do what we want. Nothing bad's going to happen. The Lord's been telling them, no, that's not true. And now just, to, you know, on top of all of that, hey, you guys in Babylon, that's where I'm going to take care of you settle down there. It's just, it seems totally backwards from what I imagine the people would have expected. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, uh, and you raise a good point. Like it's very striking because I think they would have recognized it, um, as an adaptation of Deuteronomy, um, in Deuteronomy six, you've got, um, you know, in verse 10, like, and when the Lord, your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build and houses full of good yeah. things that you did not fill and cisterns that you did not dig and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. Um, and then you get, um, you know, kind of a, a similar thing that's kind of a, a reprise uh, in, in Deuteronomy 8, 
uh, you know, build good houses and live in them, uh, herds and flocks multiply. So there's the multiplying stuff. So it would have been very striking, right, to to hear him use this uh, settling in the promised land Deuteronomy language for living in Babylon. Like, whoa, what? There's a reversal. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, and I think, I mean, you, you have to read it, um, you know, as a part of the conversation here. I mean, I think you got as far as, uh, you know, like verse, I, I think, I think you got into verse eight, but, uh, but there, you know, it mentions these, these false prophets, these false diviners. Um, I'm kind of reminded of like, uh, in some of uh, Paul's letters talking about these like false like super apostles and things like that. Um, but like wh- when you kind of put the pieces together, they are saying that, Hey guys, uh, Hey, just hang on. Don't worry. We're going to, we're going to be back in Jerusalem before you know it. Right. And like God told me, we're only going to be here for just a few years. You know, this is all going to get sorted out and we'll be able to go back to the way things were. Um, and, and Jeremiah is, you know, uh, being very polemical here and saying like, they are wrong. They are they are not sent from God with that message. Um, even if they think that they're, even if they think they're honestly right, like God didn't give them that word, um, but God's given me this one. Um, and, and that gets to like the 70 years too. Like, he's like, yeah, guys, this is not going to be just, um, some short little layover buckle up. Um, it's a lifetime that you have to look forward to in Babylon. So, uh, you may as well <laughs> get comfortable and plant some stuff and, you know, uh, you know, get married if you're not married and, you know, find, uh, you know, uh, wives for your sons because y- you're going to be there for a while. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it is a, it's a it's a message that comes in contrast to these false prophets. Jeremiah was having those same battles with the false prophets at home there in Jerusalem, and he knows those false prophets are preaching there in Babylon as well. So he's writing this letter to combat that false hope and to give the people the true word of God through this letter. And we're going to pick up more of that letter on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharp Iron here on KFUO, studying the first part of Jeremiah chapter 29 with Pastor A.J. Espinoza. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233, 800-843-5233. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Monday, July 5th, and we are studying Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 1 to 14 with Pastor A.J. Espinoza of St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Irvine, California. Pastor Espinoza, prior to the break, we we're looking at the first part of Jeremiah's letter. The people are to settle down to make themselves at home in Babylon. Among the things that they are given to do in verse six is to take wives, to have sons and daughters, you know, this giving and being given in marriage. It, it strikes me as as unusual at first, because wait, am I supposed to take a wife from the Babylonians? I don't think that's what it's saying. This is this is simply saying, I think. Have yourself a family there in Babylon. The two two people from Judah get together, get married, have kids, just like you would have done there in Jerusalem. 
Yeah, well, and I think that's actually, that's there even in verse five, where it says build houses, right? Because, I mean, certainly there were houses in Babylon. I mean, <laughs> Babylon was the subject of so much uh, construction. Um, there, were, there, were, there were so many construction projects and reconstruction projects. I mean, like there's no shortage of buildings there. So that, that, I guess that's the other side of this here. The, the, the idea of like build houses and live in them. The idea is like, you know, kind of find yourselves uh, a, a, an area in the, in the city and build houses together there and, and have actually a distinctive Judean community there in the midst, you know, a, a little Judah, right? You know, people talk about little Chinatown or like something like that, right? Uh, or like, you know, little Italy, but like no, it's like it's like little Judah here um, in Babylon, which is which is interesting because we we just don't think I think of this kind of like a like socio cultural cohesion when we think of the the church, but I mean I, I think uh, to kind of uh, maybe kind of illustrate it with a with a, a phrase you mentioned you know make themselves at home in Babylon I'd say maybe kind of more like make themselves a home in Babylon. And uh, you, we would, we would read the passage uh, wrongly if we said, Oh yeah, see, look, um, you know, we as Christians, you know, we should be, you know, blending in with the wider culture, right? What says there, uh, you know, in verse seven, you know, seek the welfare of the city. You know, we should be, you know, all about, you know, trying to, you know, uh, I don't know, like uh, promote these causes and, and, uh, you know, make this place as, as good as we can and, uh, you know, like in, intermarry and, you know, yeah, no, we're, we're, you know, melting pot, but like J- Jeremiah is like no melting pot here. <laughs> He's like, no, you guys, you need to like be working on, I, I mean, like you know, the other thing about like, you know, give uh you know, take wives for your sons. I mean, I think there's maybe even a little bit of like urgency to that, <laughs> like find them like yeah. good, like, you know, uh, Jude, uh, like Judean, uh, you know, Judai, you know, Judean wives before they, they get other ideas. Right. He's telling them to actually like hang on to their distinctive identity. Hmm. Well, and I think that that comports well with what you see in other, in other scriptures, particularly the book of Daniel and the way that, you know, Daniel and the exiles who are exiles that come before this, but would have been there in Babylon to read this letter from Jeremiah, presumably, you know, I think that that fits well with the way that they act there in exile, that they, you know, they are involved and interacting with the king and the other Babylonians, but they're doing so in a way that does not does not sacrifice who they are as the faithful people of God. So yeah, yeah, you, 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 you build yourself a home there. You don't make yourself at home in the sense that you just sit back and relax and do whatever the people around you are doing, Right. but you know, you're going to live there for a while. So you, you set it up so that you can keep your faithful identity as, as a child of God all the while interacting for the good of the people around you, which which certainly includes, you know, influencing them with that word of God that that you're holding on to and, and using for, you know, I mean that that God has given you. Yeah. Well so so I think right. So kind of like making making that the uh the the application and kind of relating to the people, I think that um, you know, we 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 kind of read this and and well I mean I don't know. I mean I, I feel like we've there's got to be like a, on a certain level, like probably a little bit of, I mean, conviction or confusion because, I mean, I, I feel like I I hear on the one hand, like people kind of like bemoan 
um, attempts at like what what they'll refer to as like a Christian subculture, right? And they'll be like, oh, like you know, there's like if I hear another like you know Christian pop artist or something like you know, right? Um, yeah. Or or they'll you know I, I mean you know and those different sorts of things. Um, uh, and on, on the other hand, right? I, I I feel like it's like, but hang on, aren't we supposed to be you know like not you know, like, uh, I guess everyone will just always go here, right? They'll be like, oh, we're, we're not meant to be Amish, right? And just like be like, you know, set up like, you know, totally apart from everybody. But we're, you know, so, so I think there, there's a thing. It's like, we're, we're, we're going to kind of either kind of bristle at this and be like, well, no, like we're supposed to like be, you know, salt and light. Um, but, uh, or on the other hand, we might read this and be like, wow, we've just like totally compromised. And, and I, and I think, if I if I had to try to put my finger on it, I'd say like we're probably um, on the side of compromising too much and not making ourselves a a distinctively Christian community. You know, I mean, sometimes I, I get the feeling that we we think that the church is kind of like Christians Anonymous, like we just kind of like you know show up from you know kind of wherever. And we kind of show up and we have our meeting and then we kind of go back to, to life. But the image here is like of a, of a strong community that's coherent and, um, you know, deliberately like hangs on to these ties and these bonds and doesn't just kind of like move away or let them go um, at the drop of a hat. So, I, I mean, I, I think that there's something there for us to kind of sit down and figure out because it's highly mobile a society that we that we live in um as 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 highly mobile as it is um i I don't know if we've really done a lot to to keep ourselves so tightly knit Hmm. i think i mean some of the well a couple of thoughts one of the the phrases that's come into my mind as we've been talking is the and i think it's a familiar phrase that christians are to be in the world but not of the world yeah i i think that 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 statement applies here in Jeremiah 29, that these Judeans are to live in Babylon and to make themselves a home there. That is their residence. That's their, that's where they're going to do life, but not to be of Babylon, not to, not to worship the false gods of Babylon, not to you know, engage in the immorality of Babylon, all those things that the Babylon did stand for that were yeah. terrible the people of God are not to engage in those things. They're not to be of those things, even as they live in the midst of it. And so, you know, in that context, that maybe the challenge is what does it mean to seek the welfare of that place? Does it it mean to blindly support whatever that place is doing as if it's good? Or does it mean, you know, to maybe mix some metaphors here, but to be that salt and light to influence it, or to at least, you know, stand as the, the voice crying out in the midst of all of the, you know, in the midst of the wilderness saying, no, this is not good. This is not right. You know, the John, the Baptist saying, saying to that, what you're doing isn't actually good, but, but listen, I have the word of God here it is. And this is what is good for you. That, that, that tension of seeking the good or the welfare of the city. I think that's a pretty important thing to to figure out how to, how to do that. Yeah, no, I, I like that. The salt and the light. Um, well, so as far as verse seven, just, just starting there. Um, I think this is one that, um, our listeners might be interested to know. This is actually the word Shalom right here. 
where it, where it has, uh, you know, seek the, the welfare of the city. And um, Shalom, yeah, you, you can't just leave it at peace in the sense of like, you know, not war. Like it, it means, you know, um, you know, long life, prosperity, um, flourishing, right? Like, uh, you know, all those sorts of fulfillment, right? All those sorts of things. Um, but it does sort of in the first place mean peace. <laughs> and uh, I, I think that Jer- Jeremiah saying this to the exiles, I, I feel like has got to like maybe in the first place say like, hey, so, okay, like stop trying to plan your insurrection, right? Like put your bricks down that you were going to throw into the store windows, right? Like, you know, don't riot in the streets. Like that's not how we're going to do things. So, I mean, so I think that it's, it's less of a statement because I think we could totally get off track here. Like, like, you know, like what they're supposed to do is just kind of like just focus on, you know, how can we make Babylon a better place? Like that, that's, eh, it's not totally bad, but that's not really his point either. It's, it's like, you know, Hey, like don't, you know, don't, don't make this like a race to the bottom there in Babylon. Cause you're going to have to ride it out. So like, there's kind of like a baseline of like peace and justice and, you know, equity that you need to do your part to maintain as, as faithful citizens, um, I, I think that's kind of the idea, like, like a vocation of like, you know, being, being faithful and, and, you know, paying their taxes to Babylon and, and these sorts of things. Right. Um, you know, uh, you know, we pray for the, uh, you know, pray for the emperor, th- this kind of thing. Uh, but, but maybe not like the, the rest of it. So, I mean, I think there's definitely like a few different ways we we can kind of get off track and applying this. Certainly. I, I think there's there's plenty there to to reflect upon for our, our current situation, you know, living as, as Christians in the United States of America in twenty twenty one. Some some definitely uh, topics to, to wrestle with and to you know to put in that full context as you've been doing of, of you know, you've been throwing in some Paul and Peter both in their epistles and the way that they talk about praying for the emperor and and Jesus, you know, rendering to Caesar, those those things I think all come into play as we consider what it means for us to live as as faithful Christians, as I mean, and this is this text actually. You, know, you talked about it being singular, or perhaps singular. One of the places it gets picked up is in First Peter, where where he calls his hearers, his readers, you know, the elect exiles. And and it was yeah. actually this text that was brought to my mind as we were reading First Peter and, and Second Peter previously. Like we should we should take a look at Jeremiah for that reason, because yeah. you know I think this has some some things to say to us in our context still today. And and this letter to the exiles is is you know it does kind of stand front and center yeah. as a part of that reflection. Yeah, I think so. And I think that, you know, I've heard this, especially a lot recently, you know, like is, is, uh, you know, God's people in exile kind of a good model for us here in, in 21st century America. And then I think the, the way that we kind of intuitively feel that way is that we've been, uh, well, this is, I mean, this is at least kind of like the, the mythos of it, right. That, that there was a time when like, you know, the church was in the driver's seat when it came to American politics um and society that the church enjoyed a lot of um uh influence um and, and you could kind of throw its weight around and and we could like pass laws just because they were good christian moral things or something like that right and and that that's since changed and there's lots of skepticism and questioning and there seems to be a lot of pushback on like hey you know take down the 10 commandments monument that kind of thing so um, you know, there's there's some issues with with that narrative, but let's just kind of assuming it for right now. 
um, you, you know, we can feel like, oh, like we're, we're kind of, we've been exiled from the, the privileged position. And, and so if, if that's the case and we're kind of like, you know, exiles then, well, I mean, let's listen to Jeremiah's message. Um, you know, are we listening to false prophets who are saying like, oh, this exile is going to be over like any day now, like just you wait, you know, uh, 2022 or 2024, we're going to, you know, take back the government and we're going to, you know, like just usher in this like this age of change and, you know, the church is going to be back on top. Like, well, I mean, I, I don't know if you, Pastor Apple, have received that revelation. Um I don't think I have. I, I think it's going to be a little bit longer, maybe not 70 years, but uh, <laughs> I don't think it's like, uh, you know, like like that soon. Um, and then I think kind of like on the on the other um, side of it, too. Right. Like, I, I think that this is maybe more applicable to like a few years ago, but you, you'd hear, hear kind of more of like the evangelical um, uh, preaching, you know, evangelical in like the American sense. Um, of like, well, you know, like this world, it's, it's all going to burn anyway. You know, Jesus is going to come back and judge everything. So, you know, why do I care about, you know, recycling or, you know, climate change or you know, whatever? Um, and it, it's sort of like, you know, they, they could have had that, you know, uh, attitude about Babylon, but <laughs> guys, like, what if we're going to be here for a while? <laughs> you know, like what if, what if, uh, you know, there's going to be several generations of church after us, right? Like what, what if, you know, the Lord's not, you know, coming back to take us out of Babylon for, you know, 70 years, uh, 140 years, right. Or, or longer, right. Like we, we have to be thinking about, uh, you know, kind of like I was saying before, at least maintaining some kind of like, baseline decency and preparedness um, so that, you know, if this does get drawn out, like, you know, future generations are not left holding the bag. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I think some of what Jesus talks about in some of his end times parables, you might say, like the parable of the talents comes into play with, with those types of things. What do we, what does it look like for us as Christians to live faithfully while we wait for our Lord's return? Cause we don't know when, you know, we don't know, like, you know, we don't have any other than he's coming soon to be ready. And, and so what does it mean to be ready? What does it mean to seek the welfare of the city? All of, all of these, I think are, are reflections for us as Christians today as we seek to live faithfully in, in this time. Uh, Pastor Espinosa, we got just about 10 minutes left and we haven't even gotten to the, perhaps the most famous verse in this text. Yet. I know. <laughs> so, so we better we better read the rest of it and, and, and reflect a little bit more on these last couple of verses. So I'm picking up here at, at verse 10 now okay. in chapter 29. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me, and when you seek me with all your when you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. That's the rest of our text for today. That was through verse 14. So we got, like I said, 10 minutes, Pastor Espinosa. And I know you've mentioned the 70 years at the outset as something to talk about. And then I think we verse 11 after that we want to talk about, because that's one of those that gets yeah. quoted very often. So let's start with the 70 years. 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that part of the reason why um, the 70 years gets uh, brought up so many times in other places in the scriptures, like um, I think it pops up in, you know, Ezra and Nehemiah, it pops up in first and second Chronicles, um, you know, obviously it pops up in a, it doesn't even just pop up. It's like, uh, there's like a whole riff on it in Daniel. Um, but part of the reason why it gets picked up is because, uh, historically, when you look back on you know th- this this episode in, in the life of God's people, um, it seems to have lasted roughly seventy years, uh, <laughs> like literally. And so I think that when people saw that, they were sort of like, "Well, I guess that you know, like literally came true." And, and but um, but the thing is, right? Like when when you when you try to do the math, like nothing nothing quite adds up, like just right like you know like if you uh you know say like you, you have uh you know babylon's gonna be captured by by the by the persians in 538 right like well okay so if you look if you go back to like you know like the destruction of the temple like uh in jerusalem in 587 like oh that's that's like uh you know almost uh, uh 40 years right like 50 years um, that's not really 70. Uh, if we, if we, uh, you know, go back earlier to, you know, like one of the sieges, right. Or like, well, if we go as far back as 605, right. Well, it's like, it's like still not like seven. See, so like, so I think part of it was like lots of people like kind of starting to think, well, maybe actually this was literal, like, or it, it was so close to being literal. It must be right. And so trying to figure out like how to like kind of make 70 years like fit, but I think at the end of the day, like you, you, you can't make it like literally um, fit that way. And, and I think that not only that, um, we should have great pause and even trying <laughs> to do that because, you know, the Bible, I, I mean, wow, especially the Old Testament is super symbolic when it comes to numbers. Like numbers are just, you know, I, I, you know, I think everyone would be like a little bit of, most people would be aware of this, um, you know, you approach the Bible and numbers like three, you know, like you think Trinity, right. Or like, you know, seven, like, Oh, the Sabbath, right. Like, you know, these numbers are not just, or, or, or 40, right. Like, you know, like 40 comes up in all kinds of places. Right. So 70 is another one of those. And it tends to represent something along the lines of like, um, like, like a, like a vast dominion or worldly power or like all the powers under God, like uh, it, it comes up, um, like uh, in all pla- kinds of places in the Old Testament, like the Table of Nations, there are like seventy nations. Um, there are like seventy. Uh, I mean, there's the twelve tribes of Judah or twelve tribes of Israel, but there seem to be like seventy clans. Um, at some point, there are seventy who go down uh, to Egypt um, with with Jacob and his family. I mean, I mean, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, so like seventy. Like it seems like when when Jeremiah said that originally, he could have been going for, hey, no, like Babylon is going to exert like world power. Like they're going to be top dog. They're going to subjugate everybody, you know, like like 70 kings are going to be underneath the emperor of Babylon. Right. So it, it could have just been something like that, um, that, that that was kind of the direction that he was going like or like uh, kind of the extent of actually of. Well, it's going to be God ordained because, you know, in a sense, all the kings of the world are the 70 underneath God. And so it's, it's God's will 
to give uh, Judah into the hand of Babylon. So it, it's it's likely that he had that kind of symbolism going on. Um, but on the other hand, too, there's there's other things like just, you know, like we've already kind of mentioned it. 70 years is listed in the Bible as kind of like one of the typical ages um, that, that was reckoned as like a, you know, a full life, you know, 70, maybe 80, if you've got really good genes is, is kind of <laughs> what the scripture says. So it's sort of like, guys, it's going to be a lifetime, you know? So this is maybe a little bit kind of like when Moses was telling um, that generation in the, in the wilderness, Hey, like you guys are, you guys are not making it into the promised land. Maybe, maybe your kids, but, but, but you not. So I think kind of either way, there's lots of good reasons to think that this 70 is a very symbolic number here. If I can, just very briefly, because I want to let you talk about verse 11, but at the end of Second Chronicles, in, in Second Chronicles 36, where it talks about you know Nebuchadnezzar taking the people into exile in Babylon, and he, he lists you know that exile until the establishment of Persia, and he says that is done to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah. And here's how he phrases it, the writer of Chronicles until the land had enjoyed its Sabbaths. Yeah. And, I mean, so I think that that fits in with what you're talking about, that this is about providing, you know, rest for the land, that the idea of the, the Sabbath being connected to, I think fits in with what you're, what you're saying and, and fits with the way the, the chronicler interprets it. I want to, mm-hmm. uh, just to keep us moving then with about four minutes, Pastor Espinoza, tell me about verse 11, the plans, he, the Lord knows the plans he's got for me. We see that on graduation bulletins in confirmation, Yeah, you know, it's a confirmation verse. And, and sometimes, you know, it just gets put there and it's not in this context. And I think seeing it in this context gives it a, a different and a more full flavor. Again, this is probably where we're going to finish out. So take us in that verse, give us the goods. Yeah. Yeah, different uh, to say the least. I mean, so I mean, so here's what like I, I feel like probably all of us have misused Bible verses, right? Like me too, right? I mean, right. I don't right. know. Like you're you're there at like a confirmation party, and you're like you you write a note, like or you write a note in like a a, a card, like you know, and you like you look through Bible verses, right? And like this one sounds nice, and so you you tried, right? Like well, so you know. Thank God you tried, right? And you you tried to use a, like a Bible verse, right? That that's that's good, okay? So, like, I'm not like saying you know, so shame on you, and like you, uh, you know, you know, ten Hail Marys and all the rest. Like, if you did this, because you did this, uh, but I mean, yeah, we we should probably not, we should not go on using this verse this way. And one of the biggest things is uh, the context, um, and one of the, the kind of the biggest things in just the verse, though is that you is like you plural. It's like you guys. I mean, really, if we just if we would just get away from the bad second person translations that we have, I mean, if it just said like, for I know the plans I have for you guys, it would like make us like stop, <laughs> stop and y'all. think any is y'all, right? Like y'all. just, we would stop and think a little bit. But but the the idea is that the, the, the plan, the welfare, the future, the hope, that's for the people of God. That's for the church. And so the comfort is not that like that God has got like, I don't know, your retirement all worked out for you as an individual, but that regardless of whether things like, you know, uh, t- you know, take a left turn that, hey, look, uh, the people of God, like, well, the Lord says that the gates of hell are not going to prevail against the church. Right. And so uh, we, we can we can take solace in that God is taking care of his church. And even if we 
suffer a little bit on the way. This is like Daniel's friends. Like, you know, like even if God doesn't res- rescue us, right? Like we're not going to change our response. Uh, we, we know that God is uh, taking care of all of us in the long run. But um, that when we look at this verse, it's like, you know, God has a plan and he even uses uh, the suffering of individuals as like an example and as an encouragement and as a blessing in some ways for, for the whole church. And so we know that God's got uh, the whole church, you know, his flock in the palm of his hand. And no matter what circumstances we individually face, God's got us covered. Just very quickly, Pastor Espinosa, as we wrap up this morning with about a minute, how does this text point us to, to Christ? Well, I mean, I was just saying there like about, about the church. Um, I, I think that there, there is this idea that, um, you know, God's taking care of his people. And, you know, like you have in verse 14, the, like the gathering of, uh, from all the nations and all the places where I've driven you. I mean, that, that's certainly like a Pentecost great commission kind of thing, right? That like, you know, God is, is using all this stuff, like this disaster, um, and, he, and he used it historically to, to gather all these different kinds of peoples and languages. And that's the vision that we see in Revelation, right? Where like all the languages are bowing down before the throne um, and the lamb. So, I mean, like, I, I think we, we see here that God is like already setting setting this up and that we can be encouraged that even if we do feel like in some ways we are we're exiled, this is, a, this is an opportunity to demonstrate faithfulness and to demonstrate to the world that there is a different way to live. And that translates into them joining the church. Uh, maybe not, you know, like your, your neighbor, like tomorrow, but like in, in the long run. So don't be discouraged for, you know, like the, the difficulties that you face for living this, you know, distinctive and, you know, yeah, like honestly, uh, inconvenient and more expensive, et cetera, way of living. Um, God will bless it for the church um, in our nation and across the world. Pastor A.J. Espinoza is a pastor at St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Irvine, California, helping us today with Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 1 to 14. Pastor Espinoza, thanks for being our guest today. Thanks for having me, Pastor Apple. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have any questions, send us an email to kfuo at kfuo.org or use the app, the open mic feature there to record up to a 60-second message. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.